0: Oh, well, it's a real pleasure to uh, be of you all this morning. Uh, it's great to be back here in Stratfield. Uh, it's great to be preaching this morning, and uh, this here is actually one of my favorite passages. So I was stoked when I discovered it. Um, really excited to hear how you've been going through Hebrews. Uh, it's a really long passage, isn't it? Thanks, Anita, for reading it so well. Uh, a long passage, but I'll keep it simple today. Uh, there's three big themes, I think, that come out in this passage. They're all sort of interconnected, um, so we're going to spend some time looking at them. Uh, Very conveniently, they're all one-syllable and rhyme as well, so you can see it uh, on your outline. Uh, But you will need to have your Bibles open, uh, because we're going to jump around this large passage. Uh, But how about I pray for us, uh, that God would help us understand. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. Uh, Thank you for all the gold that it contains within it. Uh, Father, help us to listen carefully to Scripture today. Uh, Help us to understand what it means. Uh, Help us to put into practice. Uh, Father, we pray that you would help us to hold on to this confidence our whole life long, we pray us all in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, well, the first theme we're going to look at today is bold, uh, boldness. A time when I did not have boldness uh, was when I was at high school in my final year, and I was elected to be the student representative uh, at the board of trustees. Uh, this was the group which looked after all the affairs of the school. It involved the principal, it involved parents, uh, it involved people who made big decisions. And uh, every month they had this meeting in the school library. And every month I walked up to the doors of the library and I just paused and I was petrified. I was terrified to go and walk through these doors and stand up with the, you know, the principal and all these adults who were making big decisions uh, and join them. You know, I felt young and clueless, and I was, uh, and it, we made some big calls. They actually appointed a new vice principal while I was there. I had to be on the interview panel for the new vice principal. Uh, I was petrified. I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like I wasn't worthy. But the thing was, I was. Uh, The the council had set aside a space for a student representative. I was legally and constitutionally voted in. Uh, The members of the board of trustees were hugely supportive. I was meant to be there, but I was terrified to walk through the doors of the library into that board meeting. Now, now that situation terrified me, but when we jump to this passage here, there's a situation that should terrify us far more. Uh, Look at verse 19, uh, chapter 10, verse 19. It talks about us entering not a a library to a board meeting, but the holy places. Uh, This is talking about the heavenly court where God sits on his throne in heaven to judge the world. Uh, it's not the, the principal standing in front of me. It's, you know, the creator of the world. Not someone who can just merely expel you from school, but the one who can cast you into eternal judgment. And actually, none of us legally have a space before God in that court. We are not welcome. Well, We're actually barred from entrance. Uh, the, uh, the temple, which was sort of a picture of this heavenly court, it had this massive curtain that separated the holy place uh, from the common area, uh, this curtain was a vis- visual symbol uh, that actually we can't just walk in and approach God and stand in front of them. We all have a problem. Uh, and the problem we've seen throughout Hebrews is we have a problem of sin. Every one of us stubbornly lives lives our own way rather than God's way. And one of the ways throughout Hebrews the problem of sin is described is that of being unclean. When we disobey God and live however we feel like it, the Bible says we are stained with sin. And sin is worse than red wine or oil or blood. You spill this on you and this stain sticks. And along with the stain comes guilt. Guilt about what you've done and who you are. Along with guilt comes shame. Being embarrassed about who you are, what you've done Uh, And when we see our sin clearly, we feel awful. Uh, We feel unworthy. We feel like we can't even stand confidently before another human being, let alone the God who created the world. If we see how clearly we are stained by sin, the prospect of approaching God and standing in front of him should petrify us. He can't tolerate sin. It burns up in his presence. Uh, When you're stained by sin, I think your best hope is that no one notices. Uh, The main reason Naomi and I came over to Sydney this time was actually for her sister's wedding. Uh, Just before their reception, uh, I was holding little Angeline, uh, putting her to sleep, and then I finally put her down and thought, right, uh, I'm going to go and sit down at the table and have dinner. And someone pointed me to my shoulder and said, hey Luke, uh, what's that? Uh, Sure enough, Angeline had spewed uh, all over the top of my shoulder. uh, so we grabbed some cloths, we started sort of wiping it off, uh, but you could still see the stain. Uh, and I felt so awkward. Oh, I had to go through this whole night with this stain. Uh, the saving grace was that it was sort of mood lighting, uh, and so um, as it sort of dried up, you really, in, in the dull, dim light, couldn't see it. That's often our hope, isn't it? Perhaps, perhaps if I just come before God in some dim light, Perhaps he won't see the stain. Perhaps he just fade. Perhaps I can just cover it up. Perhaps I can just pretend it's not there. Perhaps God will just look at me and think, oh, you know, I'm mostly good. I've cleaned up my axe. You know, oh, there's a little bit of a stain, but it's okay. You can let him away of it. Our passage today says our hope isn't that no one will notice our stain. Our hope's the complete opposite. Go back to verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Uh, this passage assumes not that we um, can have this confidence, but that we do have confidence. And, and why? It says it's all because of the blood of Jesus. Uh, this passage here is like the conclusion to the, um, the whole argument of this big sermon in the book of Hebrews. Uh, this verse is summarising um, what you guys have been working through over the last several weeks Um, here at Church at Nine. The blood of Jesus, when he died on the cross, was the perfect sacrifice made once for all time that can completely deal with our problem of sin. There was this curtain that was blocking us, but look at verse 20. Jesus has made a new way through the curtain of the holy place to God. And look at verse 21. Jesus is our high priest. He's the one in charge. He's done his job of making us right with God, and now he's still doing his job, ensuring that we all make it through and it all works out. Jesus has done everything through his death uh, and through his work as the high priest. So with all that there, look, look at verse 22. What do we do? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Our best hope. Is not that we can sort of cover up our stains or that somehow we can just act like as if God doesn't notice. Our confidence is that Jesus, better than sort of purse or nappy sand, has completely washed our hearts and body so clean you can't see the stain at all. It's completely gone. And it's once for all, says the book of Hebrews. once Jesus cleans your clothes, they can never be stained again. Jesus has completely dealt with with the problem. If you follow Jesus, if you depend on this sacrifice of himself that he has made as your only hope, this part of the Bible says you are clean, pure, perfect in God's sight. A, a way has been made through the curtain. There's absolutely nothing that stops you coming before God, praying to him, praising him, expecting him to accept you warmly as his little child. Nothing can stop you. And so the theme of this passage is confidence, boldness. We can boldly expect that God will accept us because of Jesus' death on the cross. And when we have this whole boldness, it just changes everything. Uh, another two things pop out in this um, start of this passage. Uh, look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Uh, we're going to hold fast to this confidence because we know God is faithful. Uh, We're going to spend some more time looking at that at the moment. Uh, But jump down to verse 24 and 25. Uh, Here's another important implication that comes out. We keep meeting together. Uh, Sometimes uh, I get asked, "You know, what what does it matter if I only turn up to church occasionally? Uh, I've been talking to this one guy at my church in Christchurch recently, and he sort of pops in every um, four to six weeks. Um, just pops in, and um, his work and life commitments mean he just, can't, he just doesn't come along very often. And we were talking about uh, this sort of thing, and he says, look, I read my Bible, I, I pray, I'm, I'm going along, well, really spiritually, it, it's great, but what does it matter if I only come to church every once in a while? Uh, I wish I'd thought about this verse here, because uh, look at verse 25, uh, it's commanded, do not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. We are commanded to um, not neglect being together. But the reason why, the reason sitting underneath it, if you look at verse 25, when we meet together, we can encourage each other. And we said, you know, the, the more we see Jesus coming back soon, the, the more we're going to want to do this. What do you talk about with people at church at nine over morning tea? What, what conversations do you have? Uh, you know, whether. Um, current affairs, uh, their job, um, you know what they've been doing in their week. Uh, these are great. They're all good things. But if that is all you ever talk about, that is an opportunity missed. Uh, when we have this confidence that we can just come and stand before God, if we have this confidence, how could we not want everyone else we know at church to know this and trust it and rejoice in this as well? When we meet together, this is our chance to keep telling each other how good this is and to tell each other, let's keep holding on to this. In verse 24, it says our aim is to spur each other on to love and good deeds. We come along here on a Sunday to try and encourage each other to keep loving each other and keep doing good deeds. How could you do that this morning over morning tea? Well, the first theme we're looking at is boldness. Be bold, church at nine. Boldly expect that God will accept us because of Jesus' blood. The second big theme hold. Hold on to this confidence and do not give up. What could make us give up? Uh, I think two things come out in this passage. The first one is thinking we can get away with sin. Uh, uh, as soon as I read this, I sort of thought back to growing up with my mother doing baking. Uh, my mum's a great baker, uh, and uh, she would make these incredible slices and biscuits and muffins, uh, and she'd often set rules. For example, when we come home from school, you're allowed one piece of slice, one and one only. Uh, the problem is, mums are softy, uh, and uh, I felt like my childhood was a little bit like the Garden of Eden. Did mum really say that we could only have one piece? Um, see, see, only if, if I took two pieces, I oh, should be upset, but I'd get away with it. She wouldn't be too angry. And so deliberately, me and my brother in particular, uh, would take two or more pieces. And we can do that with God as well, can't we? Uh, we, we know, oh, actually, this is something that God's not pleased with. But I want to do it. And actually, I, I know he'll forgive me. I mean, it's pretty much his job. And so deliberately, we'll go and do what we know God does not want us to. The passage here today says, if that's what you're thinking, you have a misplaced confidence. You are not holding on to the right thing in the first place. Uh, Look at verse 26 and 27. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. If you've received the knowledge of the truth of what Jesus has done for you in his perfect sacrifice, how he's washed you clean, and if you then deliberately think, well, this means I can carry on doing the precise things that Jesus died to cleanse me from, this passage says you're effectively trampling over Jesus and his sacrifice. You're just walking right over it. And he says here, well, if you treat this perfect sacrifice of Jesus as just something you can walk over and trample over, well, that's it. That's the only sacrifice that can save you. Walk all over that. There's nothing. And if this sacrifice is not there, all you can expect is God's judgment. Uh, It's pretty tricky when we listen to this because all of us who have been Christians for a while know that There are some sins which just haven't gone away, are there? Uh, We we feel like we're fighting them, but they just keep coming up. Uh, Well, I think this passage is not aiming to sort of try to crush us and make us feel guilty. Uh, This passage here is trying to expose our hearts. It's asking, what is our habit and our pattern? If our habit and pattern is that we know how God calls us to live, and we wrestle with trying to follow him, and sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back, whatever it is, if we are wrestling, this passage is not talking about us. This passage is for those of us who have settled into a pattern and a habit and a mindset that we can do whatever we like and we'll get off the hook because of what Jesus has done. If that is you this morning, watch out. It's pretty easy to fall other people at church, that that you're doing fine. But you cannot fool God. God knows if you're treating Jesus' sacrifice as a get-out-of-jail-free card. He knows that, and he promises that one day he's going to bring judgment. Verse 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Repent now, hold on to Jesus' sacrifice rightly. Uh, The second way which we might be tempted to not hold on to this confidence uh, is struggles for being a Christian. Uh, In verse 32, um, the the writer of of Hebrews reminds the hearers about what they went through. Look at it. He says that they endured a a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. Uh, He goes on to say that they had compassion on those of prison. And they even had their own property plundered. For being a Christian, they got their possessions and their house and everything taken away from them. Uh, Even if you have incredible boldness before God, the struggles of being a Christian can make you want to give up sometimes. Uh, Have you ever felt that? Uh, For me, it was probably my first year at university that I felt that the most strongly. Um, I came from a country town, uh, moved to Christchurch, came to university... And I just found it hard to be a Christian. Uh, When I think about, there's probably sort of two big factors which made it hard. One, I just wanted to fit in. I I didn't want to stick out. I wanted to sort of fit in and be friends with everybody and have everyone happy with me. And the second one was, I wanted to avoid being mocked. Uh, There were people in my college residence who uh, would just openly mock Christians, and sometimes I was on the receiving line. And, And I just wanted to avoid that. Uh, my conclusion and my, well, my solution in my first year was just walk away from Christianity, sort of drift away intentionally. Uh, but this passage is all about holding on even in those times. Well, what got these people through? Uh, look at verse 34 to 36. It says, They had joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better position and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. He says, hold on, because a promised reward is coming that will last. Uh, We'll think about that uh, in in just a moment in the next section. Uh, But let's just focus on that line. Do not throw away your confidence. When you stop and think about it, Nothing can compare to this confidence that we've just been looking at. Nothing in all this world. Jesus has done everything, 100%. He's given it to us as a gift. We're now right with God. Our sin and our guilt is washed away. And we have eternal hope and a future. Nothing in this life can compare with this confidence. Therefore, you'd be an absolute fool to throw this confidence away to try and get something else which is less important. Uh, well, what can compare? Uh, fitting in with others? Oh, it, it's a great thing, but it's only for a time, isn't it? I can't even remember the names of the people who I so desperately wanted to fit in with in my first year of university. Uh, escaping a bit of mocking? Oh, well, well, that's great. But all mocking and suffering as a Christian only lasts for a moment. I can't even remember the names of the people who mocked me in my first year of university that the confidence that Jesus has won for us is better than anything else in this life. Don't throw it away for something which is temporary and doesn't last and in the end doesn't even matter. And also don't forget to factor in, well, what does God think about it all? Uh, Look at verse 37 to 38. Um, He's quoting the Old Testament. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Uh, Most of this is a a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2. You might have noticed this sounds a little bit different to the the reading that we had from the Old Testament. Uh, That's because the the Old Testament reading is an English translation of the original Hebrew, uh, whereas this here is an English translation of a Greek translation of the original Hebrew. Uh, and to top it off, the guy slightly paraphrased it a bit to make his point. So so don't be alarmed if it looks a little bit different. Uh, the key point is the same. Jesus, the righteous one, is coming and will not delay. Jesus, the righteous one, is the one who lives by faith. And so us, his followers, need to follow suit because that's what pleases God. To, to shrink back, to give up, to, to hear the wonderful news of what Jesus has done for us and then give it all up and turn our back on it well, do that, and it says God is not pleased. But when I shrunk back in my first year of university, I did successfully avoid some of the struggles for being a Christian. I succeeded. But I had traded friends being pleased with me for God being pleased with me. That's a bad trade. The opinion of God is of more valuable than the opinion of 10 billion fickle humans. Have you felt like giving up recently because of the struggles of being a Christian? Have you thought, oh, wouldn't it be good if I could just step back, perhaps just not be so serious, perhaps just fade into the background, Uh, keep attending church, keep up friendships, but just switch off to all those difficult bits of following Jesus? Our passage today says, hold on. Don't throw away your confidence. Nothing else in the world can compare with it. Cling on to it. Why should we hold on? Uh, Well, the answer that's come through this whole passage is gold. The promise of reward. Um, Many of you have visited New Zealand, I understand. Um, If you haven't, you should. It's a beautiful country. Uh, Queenstown is obviously the place to go. Uh, Just outside Queenstown is a town called Arrowtown. Uh, in 1862, a local sheep-shearer there found gold in the Arrow River. And a massive gold rush started, uh, including many people who came from China, uh, moved to New Zealand uh, to try and make their fortunes. Uh, they came over and established this little sort of um, strip of the town made of these tiny makeshift huts They've sort of recreated some of them under, even today. Uh, and they stayed there for decades. Uh, now, this work of gold mining was incredibly tough. They worked incredible hours. They left family and were living by themselves. Uh, It was tough work. Uh, And the environment was harsh. I mean, if you think a Sydney winter is cold, um, have you heard of this thing called snow? Uh, The environment was tough. And to top it all off, uh, these Chinese miners who came were complete foreigners. They didn't speak the language or fit in with either the Europeans or the Maori. Why would you leave China and come to Arrowtown the promise of reward the chance to make your fortune and earn a new life for yourselves but will these chinese miners move country based on the mere rumor and the possibility that they might make a fortune in gold uh, as christians we are actually asked to do something similar but, but we have something far far greater than just a mere rumor we have god's promises This passage says that we have to endure it uh, to the end in order to receive what God has promised. This gets a bit tricky, though, isn't it? Because when you're in the middle of the race, you can't see the finish line. You can't see the reward. You can't see God's promises. And so that's where faith comes into the picture. Uh, We saw in verse 38, the righteous one will live by faith. Well, what does that look like? Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 1, you might recognize it from the kid's spot. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, The the things hoped for in this verse is the reward that God's promised us. And and faith means having the conviction that God will do what he has promised, even though we cannot see the results right now. Uh, Chapter 11 is sometimes called the, the hall of fame of faith or the, the heroes of the faith. Uh, Eighteen times, I don't know if you heard it, it's been read it out. Eighteen times, by faith, are the two words that begin a sentence. It's a record of all these heroes from the Old Testament who were righteous people who lived by faith. Uh, we're not going to have time to look at them all at the moment, but let's just take Abraham as an example. Uh, jump down to verses 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed, when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Uh, God had told Abraham one day, all right, you need to leave your city and, and, and go to this place, which you don't even know about, and I'm going to give it to you as your inheritance. Uh, It it sounds great, but see, uh, Abraham didn't know what this land looked like. He didn't even know where it was. He didn't know how to get there. But Abraham knew God. He knew God could be trusted, and so he obeyed and left. Uh, There's a bit of a, a twist to the story. You see, he arrived in the land finally, but he didn't get to own it. Uh, it says he lives as a, a foreigner. He, he lived there in a tent and waited for God to make good on his promise. Uh, he lived there in a tent, his temporary structure, looking forward to a time when he would live in a city with permanent foundations that God would build. But you know what? During his life, that time didn't come. And so his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob did the same, waiting for God to make good on his promise. Uh, the, the, this twist comes right for the chapter uh, A good summary of the whole chapter is found in verses 13 to 16. Uh, Have a look. It says, these all all these um, heroes of the faith, they died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. All these heroes in the Hall of Fame of faith died without seeing the promises completely fulfilled. That they saw bits, but it was only sort of glimpsing at them from a distance. But they stuck with their faith. They stuck with trusting God, even though they couldn't see the end. And do you see what they viewed themselves as? They acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They knew they were seeking a homeland built by God. And if their homeland is over there built by God, the place they're living right now, that's not their homeland. It's not home. They are a stranger and an exile right here. And so they recognize people are going to find them a bit weird. They know people will think, you know, why are you living for a homeland out there? Why don't you just accept that now is all that is and just enjoy it? But they didn't. They stuck with it. And that's okay because the passage goes on to say, actually, because of that, God's not ashamed to be their God. They trust him. Their actions show they trust him. And the words at the end are, he has prepared for them a city. Uh, if city was one syllable and rhyme with hold, uh, I would have used it in the outline, but sort of gold just worked a little bit better. Um, but, but a city is what's mentioned here. God has prepared for them a city. God has already prepared the promised reward. It's not some hypothetical possibility. It is true. It is done. It's just coming in the future. Uh, for us today, we are one step ahead of the, uh, these heroes in the Hall of Faith. Uh, because Jesus has come. Jesus has made the way that we can be right with God to this incredible city. He has made the once-for-all sacrifice. He has sat down, job done. And we can know this. We can have an incredible confidence that the people from this chapter could only look at from a distance. We know uh, what he's promised. So, So we're one step ahead of them, but at the same time, we're in the same boat. Uh, Because the complete fulfilment of God's promises will only come when Jesus returns. And so until that point, this this whole chapter encourages us to hold on, live by faith as a stranger, looking forward to the promised reward. Uh, As we finish up, uh, how will you know that you are living by faith? Uh, I think there's three parts to it. Uh, First up, you will know and treasure God's promises for the future. Uh, I mean, it's, it's really easy to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, great, I'm going to die and go to heaven, sweet, sorted. But, but if that's all you think about, the promised reward of the future, uh, that, that's hardly it at all. God's word is so much more specific. Do you know what God's promises are in the Bible about the future? You'll never treasure them unless you know what they are. Do you need to put some effort into reading the Bible to work out what God has promised you. And you need to more than just know what is promised, you've got to trust them. God has built and promised you a city. Living in God's city is a billion times better than living in the city of Sydney. Do you trust God when He promises better is coming? Uh, do you trust Him that there is a whole bag of marshmallows coming next week that is going to be far better than. Um, um, whatever you have in morning tea. Uh, and just not just trusting, treasuring the promises. Uh, are these promises of the future the most precious thing to you? Uh, are you living as if you do trust and treasure his promises? Or is that sort of a hypothetical thing, but actually you really treasure the things of now? Uh, I remember um, uh, going, hearing a sermon one time, and I can't remember who the preacher was, but he was talking about how he had this ritual, where in the middle of winter, uh, he would take a shower, uh, he'd turn the the hot tap on, and then he'd turn it off, and he'd turn the cold tap on full. And in the middle of winter, he would put himself under the shower and have a cold shower. Why? Well, well, he said he did this to remind himself that even though he lived in a cushy uh, cushy life, he's reminding himself, actually, this is not home, and I am not going to get too comfortable here. Are you living as if you treasure God's promises over everything else? Or do you need a bucket of ice-cold water dumped over your head to make you face up to reality? There is better coming that will outweigh any comfort in this life. So we know and treasure God's promises to the future, and we also acknowledge that we're going to be a stranger in this life. I mean, we all want to fit in, but the Christian has to come to term with the fact. That on the most important central bit of our lives, we're always going to be strangers to everyone else around us. We're always going to be on the outside. Uh, I find this with members of my family who who aren't Christians. They're happy that I follow Jesus and I'm doing what I love and think's important. But at the same time, I know they find me weird. They think I'm strange for throwing all my energy and effort into church life and you know having a hope for the future. I think I'm strange. Do you have family members or friends or colleagues who think the same? We're always going to be strangers, but that's okay. Our homeland is not here. It's coming. Finally, uh, how will you know you're living by faith? You're going to hold on. You're going to hold on to this confidence right to the end. That's what Hebrews chapter 10 and 11 are all about. The author wants us to boldly approach God because of what Jesus has done and to boldly hold on to this confidence right to the end, living by faith as a stranger, looking forward to our reward. Um, Why not today go back and read through chapter 11? Go through example, example of these heroes of the faith. They've done it. It's been done before. The race has been run. We can do it. Will we endure to the end? Let me pray for us that we will be able to do this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. Thank you for all the encouragement contained in it. Uh, Father, I pray you'd help every one of us to know the confidence that we can have because of what Jesus has done for us and his sacrifice of himself. Help us to have confidence to come before God, knowing that you will accept us, um, not because of who we are, but because of Christ. Uh, help us to hold on to this confidence and never throw it away and trade it for anything else in life. Help us to keep enduring through um, uh, struggles of being a Christian, just looking ahead and knowing you have a promised reward coming. Help us to be encouraged by uh, these heroes of the faith as well as the heroes of the faith we see here in our own church. Help us, each one of us, to persevere and hold on. We pray uh, that you would help us to do this in your strength. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.